Welcome to the Startup Business Q&A podcast with Richard Moore. episode 175 thank you very much uh, for everyone for watching uh, so that's three years and four months today that we started uh, the show uh, and someone recently said uh, in fact it was last night I think told me that it makes this 40 months <laughs> it's a nice way of looking at it uh, 175 weeks of this so thank you very much for everyone who's joining in so on Saturday I asked would anyone like to um, choose one of three topics so we had face-to-face -face selling face-to-face uh, -face networking even uh, content game or sales um, we had sales last week and you lot voted again for sales so this is part two of the sales AMA ask me anything on sales um, and there's a couple of notices as well. We're going to have a giveaway today from my entrepreneur business group on Facebook. So if you're not in it, you can join uh, simply by looking for it and, and applying. as uh, three questions to answer if you want to be in the group. And um, there's a giveaway of uh, Idea Man, which is a wonderful book by uh, the late Paul Allen uh, of Microsoft fame. Uh, I'm a really big fan of this guy. Uh, the book was fantastic as well. Uh, it really gives you... Um, the depth on those moments when they were when they were building Microsoft and, and the kind of the great things that Bill Gates did as well. So I really invite you to, it's kind of quite an inspirational book, but it's also a lot of uh, really good kind of sage advice from someone who's been around the block a bit. So I definitely invite you to try that out. Um, thank you very much for everyone who's watching right now. If you're watching live, put in the comments uh, if you're hashtag team live. Uh, or if you're watching later, hashtag Team Replay. Also, let us know where you're watching from as well. Uh, and if you have any questions on sales, do jump in uh, and pop them in the comments, no problem at all. Uh, I'm going to talk in a second about Entrepreneur Business Live Ottawa that we have this week as well. I'm really excited about this one. This is the final one of the year. Uh, it's not going to be out of WeWork, actually. It's a, a place called Collab Space in Ottawa because I haven't got around to having a, a WeWork there yet. And hosted by my friend uh, Nadine Langlois. So thank you very much for running that. With Sam Lister streaming in and also the amazing Dan Willis um, speaking as well. The, the focus will be on the kind of the, the practical side of mindset if you're an entrepreneur. So I strongly urge you to, to listen in. If you are not in Ottawa, you can watch with me the live stream from 6-ish p.m. Ottawa time, so it's the same as Eastern time, um, on Thursday this week, live uh, for free in the Entrepreneur Business Group on Facebook. If you are in Ottawa, it is free to attend. So this is the first of our new model for Entrepreneur Business Live. If you weren't with us last week on the show, uh, you will have maybe missed the announcement. But moving forward, what I've decided is that Entrepreneur Business Live, the event series, um, that is, uh, has been around the world quite a bit, will be a free to attend event. Uh, and so you have the option now of attending for free or attending for free and donating. And the idea being by making it a free event, we will get more bodies in the room. And by offering the donation angle, it means that more, you know, we, I presume with more people coming uh, that you'll get, we'll get more donations and net a greater amount to donate. So minus Eventbrite fees, basically it will be a completely, uh, uh, it will be the case that all of the um, uh, donations will go 100% minus Eventbrite fees uh, to the charity partner. And for Ottawa on Thursday this week, the, uh, the charity partner will be Safe Pet Ottawa. So the idea is that they foster companion animals 
for women and children who need to exit from domestic violence uh, into safety of local violence against women or VAW shelters. And the idea is it kind of reunites um, these pets with their, with their owners once they're kind of a little bit more settled. So it's a really valuable cause. We try, I try and make sure that these charities, the local ones we donate to, uh, work with children, uh, work with education, things like that. And this year, you know, we've had some really wonderful ones. This is a great one to be working with. I'm really pleased with it. Already well over $100 worth uh, of people um, donating. So I'm really pleased with it. And so if you know someone in Ottawa, I don't know millions of people in Ottawa, but if you do, do let them know uh, that they need to go along on Thursday from 6 till 8 in the evening. Uh, Sam Lister, uh, Dan Willis and Nadine Langlois will be all speaking there and donating to Safe Pet Ottawa. So um, do jump in there. Otherwise, as I say, join us on the uh, live stream in the Entrepreneur Business Group on Facebook. Again, if you're watching right now, put in hashtag Team Live and where you're watching from. If you're watching later on, you can watch on hashtag Team Replay. I do want to shout out as well and say thank you to everyone who listens to the podcast. Um, the numbers of listeners every week goes up. And it was this was originally because um, uh, so many people were saying, look, I don't want to sit and watch you, man. <laughs> I love you and everything. I just want to listen uh, instead or, or more practically. I'm, I'm driving my car and I'm uh, a bit more interested in, in hearing it. So the, the podcast has been out for a while. Just go to therichardmore.com or search uh, for Startup Business Q&A. Spotify, iTunes, all the usual places, uh, you can see it there. So thanks again for those of you who are listening, listening in the past. And if you missed this uh, on, on Instagram, you can watch on IGTV a bit later on as well. So the questions are on sales again, second week in a row. Uh, as usual with sales, it's like the top so subject, which is kind of nice because it's my favourite subject anyway. Um, I got so many, I had to just take eight because otherwise we'd run out of time because uh, we only actually get an hour. Uh, if you look at like Instagram, it kills you after an hour live. You can't do any more than that. So uh, thank you everyone for watching uh, on LinkedIn, on Facebook and on Instagram. Let's get stuck in. First question from Carolina Mankowski from Florida. Speaking of which, uh, April 16th, pencil it into your diaries, please. Especially those of you on the East Coast. April 16th is where we roll out the... I'm just going going off on sales right here. Aren't I? I'm not answering your questions, Carolina. 18, uh, 16th of April is where we roll out the uh, one of the new models of Entrepreneur Business Live. So we're going to go free all tickets for all events moving forward, but we'll have different types of event as well. So the usual ones where if you want to run one, go crazy, basically. But this will, we're going to try our first flagship live uh, large-scale event um, uh, on the East Coast with, with Miami. So this is one where... where because ideally these events are 25 to 30 people. This one's going to be ideally 80 to 120 people. Uh, it'll be a panel. Um, it won't be speakers. Uh, and we can have some very exciting people. Some more coming uh, on that very soon. And that will be, yeah, I say like a large scale event. But that'll be Miami. So 16th of, of April. Any of you want to come over, I will be there in person uh, popping back over. Uh, do come along. Uh, but more along that soon. Just at least pencil it in your diary. Uh, no excuses. Almost six months out, right? So first question. Anyway, Carolina uh, from, from Florida has asked, how do you sell to someone who clearly doesn't value what you have to offer and is constantly trying to get some kind of deal or discount or freebie? How do you know when to quit? Do you simply let them go for your own sanity? You can't sell someone who doesn't see value 
in what you have to offer. It's as simple as that. If they don't believe there's any value, they're not interested. This is a perfect moment to separate the two concepts, Carolina, of value as a perception and price, as in the amount of money you're asking for or the return you're, you're requiring. So the issue that people have here is really simple. If there's no differentiation in you, buying your product between having it or not having it, having it or having a competitor's or having it and just buying something else, then people seek differentiation. If it's like you're coming at them, trying to sell to them and not, not, not bothered, you have, they have, they're looking for why, why, dif, why something different, why change, why buy this? And if there's nothing obvious, then they create a point of differentiation. And most commonly that point of differentiation when there is no obvious perception of value, it's not what you think, sorry, it's what they believe. When there's no obvious perception of value, what they decide to do is create differentiation which usually manifests in discounts. Essentially my point is, if there's your product or there's something else, or there's your product or a competitor, or if there's your product or, do you know what, it's so uninspiring, there's just the option of doing nothing. How do we make this different? Do you know what, let's just ask for a lower price. Maybe a lower price will make a difference instead. That might make it more compelling. And then there's the race to the bottom, which presumably you're not keen on doing. It's as simple as this. If someone doesn't feel there's value, that's the problem. If someone feels there's no value, that's the problem, not, not the price. Typically, a salesperson or someone selling something will work on the basis that if there's pushback, a discount will fix the problem. And it's not the best way to go unless you're cool with technically just having customers. But there's a double problem here. Because the thing is, Carolina, if you drop the price through the floor in order to get the sale with someone who doesn't really see the value, and you manage to get the sale, you end up with someone who hasn't paid you much and doesn't think there's much value. It's the worst combination. You lose and they lose as well. It's better to let them go in my opinion. The best buyers are the ones who get it, who realize that there's value. And when you do the larger value deals, so consulting and things like that, often what I do is I check first and along the way whilst selling that they are in principle sold on the value or perception of value before they get to hear the price. There's a little bit of content I put out last week about this, that you have to have them earn the right to hear your price. And this is switching the roles somewhat, I get it, but the point is that they should want to buy before you give them a price. If you say, hey, I have something to sell you and here's the price, there will be a no, because there's no sense of, but why should I buy it being answered yet? So you've got to give them the value first, then give them the price. If they don't get the value, the price will be seen as subjectively expensive. It's as simple as that. You are seen as too much money because there's no value. That's why some people think that $1,000 for an iPhone is too much money. They don't see the value. And those that do see the value think it's an absolute steal. Okay, so that's why some people, it's hilarious, every week I get questions like this, uh, people talk about Facebook ads being expensive. They're not expensive when you spend pennies to get thousands of people. 
but that's because I'm sold on the value of them. And other people think, oh, it's ridiculous. I'm paying six pound or six dollars, whatever, to reach 5,000 people. That's absurd. And it's like, wow, 15 years ago, you'd be doing flyers uh, through doors or something like that. So it's about that perception there. To answer your question directly, if someone doesn't value what you have to offer, you have to get them to value what you offer. If you can't, it's your fault. If you can't get them to value it, then you need to move on. Try your best, but don't sell them through a discount because you'll end up sure, firstly, not getting as much money, but secondly, you've got a customer now who doesn't feel it's very good. And that's the worst because now they're going to be picking at everything. Far better to, if you can, to hold your breath for customers who love your stuff more because then they will see the good in the value you have uh, to offer instead. A couple of questions, a couple of points coming through uh, from um, Facebook here. Firstly, shout out to everyone. So thanks so much for watching Daniel Nunes, Davor Koz, Eric de Duningen, Violet Jamal, Alex Galvez, good to see you here. Uh, Devon Scott, Bob Lowe, Rodney Wise, Bob Lowe from Kuala Lumpur, Team Kuala Lumpur. Uh, and he has written, where are you, down here. Richard, I was just having a conversation with someone today. How do you identify the qualities of a good sales candidate for hire? Personally, there's two things I've done in the past. Both have been successful. I've done other things as well, done lots of areas. I've, I've hired salespeople and, and had a sales team uh, since 2004 when I first got that job um, and uh, in different ways done hiring since then. Firstly, the best salespeople I've found for, in terms of being up here really sold on your thing and therefore really wanting to do the extra is actually people who've bought your product. I've had a really great guy in the past and actually quite a good team uh, a few years ago when I was, I was selling uh, one of my uh, consulting propositions. I had a team of like four people, I think, at the time. And there was one in particular who had zero sales experience and he outperformed everyone pretty much combined. It was because he was so bought into the mission. So this guy was a buyer already of my product. So he'd gone through the process of being sold, then had the service, so totally sold on that as well. And as a result, he was very, very keen on the mission, the movement, and, and you know everything about the story of working with me. And as a result, he did the extra. This is the guy that was on, like I've mentioned in the past, who was like, I'm sure it was either Boxing Day or New Year's Day, and he's messaging me, and it's like, it was wonderful. Like, I've got this guy, looks like he's keen on buying. What do you think about this or this? Like, he's consulting with me on what to say to help close this person on public holidays. And it just going the extra mile like that, I absolutely loved it. And the guy made thousands in commission as a result. So really fantastic to look at the people who have bought from you. Look at the people in your ecosystem. Who follows you? You know, who is really keen on what you do, Bob? Because those people are often the best salespeople because they're, they're, they're almost a bit more fanboys of you. And they naturally evangelize about how great you are. So that's a good start. A second approach I tried when we were in the corporate space, uh, a little bit more straightforward to find, um, was rather than looking for confidence or certain qualities in an interview, I remember I worked at a company, it was a wonderful idea by the management there, it was a headhunting company he worked at, of, and this just, it was eye-opening for me, but of course they would be good at recruitment. I remember walking in the door and they said, we're gonna do, uh, I, was, I was quite new to the company, they said, we're gonna do an assessment day, we're gonna get some grads on board, and so we were like, okay, my, your natural inclination is to say, well, I'm looking for grads who are energetic, ambitious, and that kind of thing. Kind of hard to test, right? So what we did was we actually looked for people who 
were captains of sports teams. Because think about the qualities you need in a leader and someone who's going to be ambitious. A captain, and we've, we said the captain of a first sports team. So you normally at universities, we were, we were uh, um, hiring from universities at the time. Um, normally at universities, you have a number of sports teams. So you might have three or four rugby teams or football teams, for instance, soccer teams, for instance. So you end up with, um, you know, a few teams. But the first team, imagine what the captain is like. That's a born winner. That's someone who understands leadership. That's someone who must be great, not just at the sport, but at running a team, at being a captain in order to get there. And we destroyed it. I was so, that was the best recruitment technique I've ever seen uh, by that management team. It was marvellous because what happened was we got these guys in. There were like five or six of them, they all joined. And you've got one of them, she was captain of the hot first hockey team for a major university. One's captain of a rugby team, major university. Captain of um, lacrosse team, captain of the, of the football team. Adding them all up. And what we had was this wall of fame. So when you joined on day one, you brought in a picture of you winning. So I had mine with my taekwondo and everyone else had them scoring goals, or whatever, holding up their trophies. It was a room of winners. It was the greatest. And so many people overlook this. If you want to hire people and you're not looking for an established skill set, for instance, you know, five years experience or something, look for people who are captains of sports teams because they are winners. And there was never a point when I had to say to any of the team, Guys, come on, let's get on. We need to pick it up. They were in before me. They're all six foot five as well. I'm like, I felt really small. I'm six one, but like compared with this lot, they were like beasts, you know, but they were all winners, positive, motivated, and in, uh, inspiring individuals. The best recruitment advice is hire people who have captained sports teams because you get ambition and, you, you know, you don't get to that position unless you can sustain a consistent level of leadership. So it was really wonderful. I hope that helps, Bob. Good question. Daniel Nunes, have you started? Have you noticed that your Facebook viewership is dropping whilst LinkedIn is starting to pick up? Uh, yes, I have. The truth is that, link, that Facebook is culturally becoming far more pure social, which is, hey, here's a picture of me at my wedding, as opposed to uh, LinkedIn, which has always been business, but now has the content play. So it is no surprise that the Facebook viewership is dropping whilst LinkedIn is picked up because this kind of stuff, whilst it serves a community on Facebook, Daniel, because people have been watching for three and a bit years, um, really is subject matter for LinkedIn. So whilst there's attention, Facebook still gets it, but on LinkedIn, it makes a lot more sense. Now that we have live streaming and content on, on LinkedIn, it makes a lot of sense to leverage that because it's the space for it. So without question, you know, if you look at Instagram and Facebook, uh, as opposed to LinkedIn. LinkedIn is always winning now because content plus the fact it's business related makes a lot more sense. We're talking about sales today. Thank you very much uh, everyone for joining. Thank you everyone who's asked questions and also those who voted for the second week in a row to have a sales AMA. I will omit next week the option to have sales because otherwise we'll be sales every single week, which is marvellous for some, but not for others. But the idea will be um, that, as usual, we always ask uh, what you would like as the subject matter. Thank you, everyone, everyone, for joining in. If you're watching right now, put in the comments hashtag team live and where you're watching from or hashtag team replay if you're watching later on. Uh, thank you very much for everyone watching on LinkedIn. Let's have a look at what people are saying over there. And in the meantime, remember on Thursday this week, Ottawa Entrepreneur Business Live, the last event of the year before we close out 
Uh, it's been an amazing year for growth with international events here. The first of our new model of free entrepreneur business live events. All tickets are free now. And if you want to attend, you can you just grab your seat on Eventbrite. And if you choose, you can grab your seat and donate as well. Okay, and the, all donations minus the small haircut you get for Eventbrite fees go directly to the charity to save Pet Ottawa in this case. Uh, I'm going to do one more question, then I will announce the winner of Idea Man, the book by Paul Allen uh, from the Entrepreneur Business Group on Facebook. Yeah, there's a lot of adverts here for the Entrepreneur Business Group on Facebook. You should probably join it, shouldn't you? Um, next question. Thank you, Carolina Mankowski. From Mimi Watts over in Sydney, who's probably tucked up in bed right now, I should think at this time. Uh, how do you sell to, sorry, wrong one. Uh, when do you speak, when do you meet, when you meet someone in person and start chatting about coaching, if they show a strong interest, should you aim to close in person on the spot at the end of the conversation or attempt to book in a call to discuss further? How do you navigate this conversation? It's a really good question. In sales, you need to make sure you don't add extra steps unless they are needed. People talk about having multiple touch points. You should make sure you've touched, touched base with someone seven times, all these magic formulas uh, before you close someone. If it's required, then fine. If it's not, don't do it by default. For instance, there are some sales teams I've encountered where by default, without any prior decision-making, but just because that's how we've always done it, they will ram analytics and attachments and media packs and propositions and cute marketing PDFs down the throat of every prospect. However, some prospects might need some of those things. Others might not at all. There are some deals where they want to know the inside leg measurement of your pet hamster. There are other deals where they need two bullet points, like the broad strokes, and that's it. So you need to tune in to the prospect in front of you what they need. Typically, Mimi, because I know you're, a, you're a, a coach, I would say you need to remember that trust is the foundation of any deal. And as a result, you need to build familiarity into this relationship. The depend, it depends who the conversation's with. If it's someone I have that familiarity with, then needless to say, I'm probably a little further ahead, but I don't want to add steps. For instance, if someone's having a long conversation with me and really, really bought in and saying, I really want to do this, shall we do this? I'm not going to say, yeah, let's go ahead with it. But first, let's have an exploration call. You know, let's hold off, have an, you know, you don't need to add steps. If someone is sold on the value, refer back to Karen Mankowski's question, and when willing to buy. If they're ready to buy, sell them the product. I had a really annoying, this best term, annoying encounter a little while back when I bought this laptop right here, one on my lap. And the issue was that I knew what I wanted to buy, so I was sold on the value. I was sold on the price, because online, right, you can see what you're gonna pay. And I walked into the shop and said, Hello, after like an hour of almost of waiting for some guy, because you can't just buy the thing. Um, I want to buy this laptop, please. And he got his notepad out. This is the, rather than saying, sure, have you got any questions? Are you absolutely set on this one? He got the notepad out and said, just before we do anything, let me ask you some questions. I'm like, I'm good. 
So I've really telegraphed it. I'm good. I've done the research. I really want to buy this laptop, please. And he said, I completely understand. But he was forced to, by his sales process, to ask me a bunch of questions. And it, after a while, you could see his face. It was almost like resignation. I'm sorry I have to ask you all this stuff. I'm like, you've got to stop. Like, I'm, like, it's getting boring now. And I remember at one point going, look, I just want to give you some money so I can buy the laptop. So he couldn't even just take a quick sale. He had been forced to ask all of these questions. So it's a huge error that he hadn't got the discretion to be able to say, so you want to buy it? So let's just get on with it. Because that was a quick sale. And it was a good half an hour from me saying, I'd like to buy this now, please, to me being able to walk out of the shop. And I felt like I had to fight against all this friction to actually get my product bought. And that's a perfect example of too many steps. The reason I'm going hard on this point is because, Mimi, if someone's sold, just close them. In the same way as someone says to a shop assistant, hi, I'd like to buy this loaf of bread, please. Where's the pay desk? Instead of getting in the way saying, well, you're gonna have to look for it yourself. Or well, why don't we talk about what other breads we've got? You just say, it's over here, sir, no problem, and you get on with it. So if someone's ready to buy, remove the friction and help them buy. However, if someone isn't showing massive interest in the level of value, well then yes, consult with them. Organize the consultation call. So it depends. One thing I would add is if in, for instance, a networking event, you're having a good preliminary chat with someone, you, you know, you're starting to really vibe with them, be careful that a nice conversation doesn't mean they're gonna buy. Okay, a nice conversation is in you feel warm and cuddly, you're getting on really well, doesn't necessarily mean it's a constructive conversation yet. And what I'm really saying here is, what you really need to often do is get the volume down a bit and get into the quiet where there's no distractions, not people coming over going, oh, hi, I just want to say, sorry to interrupt, can I speak? All this kind of stuff, you want to get out, out the way. Get into a setting where you can actually do some real business. A Zoom call, for instance, or a meeting in an office or, or, or something like that is far better than with all the distractions. This is why I really subscribe to Oren Klaff's point. I think he did a video about this a while back, about how why coffee shops are a really bad place to do business, because or a cafe or over dinner. It's great to warm them up, to get on well and build the, the connection, but to get down to nitty gritty and get the deal, it's often quite a hindrance because you're constantly being interrupted all the time, often by people locally who know you. So it's far better to get the quiet down and have a one-on-one -on -one where there's no distractions and undivided attention. Why? Because you feel you may be able to navigate it, but when you have undivided attention, when you are one-on-one -on -one in a room with someone, you get their emotional attention as well and they're not stimulated by other things. And when you get their emotional attention, you can really have the effect on them to build proper emotional value and get real buy-in. If someone's slightly distracted, but sure, still understanding what you're saying, because there's a crowd of people around you, it actually can count against you in terms of really building that sense that, wow, you can really help them, okay? So I would go a little further uh, and, and take it the next step if I was you, uh, Mimi. But not, not always is my point. Remember, comfort familiarity. If they feel ready to buy them, then they will be. Let's look at some of the comments over on LinkedIn. Thank you everyone who's watching right now. Uh, Roxana Krug, you're becoming a regular. Nice to see you on here. Carolina Mankowski, done April 16th. I am there. You are going to be there. Excellent. It's going to be a great panel actually with uh, Brian Dorek, 
um, the gastroenterologist who does lunch with Brian here on, on LinkedIn as well. I follow. I, I suggest you follow him over in Miami. Uh, he'll be doing the emceeing. I'll be on the panel with a few others, including Shanae Moret, Moray, I should say, uh, is going to be uh, on the panel as well. Um, we'll do a big Q&A there too. be a wonderful event with some breakout sessions and so on. Laurie Knudsen, good to see you here. Daryl Perry, the man with the bow tie. I love that. The guy with the bow tie, rather. Um, uh, Nuggerbox Recession Proof. Good to see you here. Thank you. It's an interesting name. Christina Yeoman, nice to see you here. Yep, I have a client who is doing this for me. Uh, I don't know what you're referring to, but excellent. Good for you. Wendy Guhilla, I prefer LinkedIn. Yes, who doesn't right now? It's from Tennessee. Good to see you here. Um, who else is watching? Uh, Diana Noyan, uh, watching from over in Melbourne as well. Thank you very much. Next question. No, it's not. I said I'd do the giveaway, didn't I? So, in the Entrepreneur Business Group last week, I asked a simple question. I'm not going to do a giveaway every week, but why not? So the week before was uh, a fifty quid, a fifty dollar giveaway. David Potts won. Congratulations to you. But this week, I, or last week rather, uh, I think it was on Friday, I said um, the winner of um, uh, Paul Allen's Idea Man book. I really urge you to buy this if you've not read it, uh, uh, and if you don't win today. Um, uh, the question was, uh, what did you say no to in 2019 that was a good decision? Now, you won't win, <laughs> but I'd like to ask you to put that in the comments here. It's a really good reflection, uh, a way to reflect on the year. What did you say no to in 2019 that was a good decision? I, I'm, I'm really getting good at saying no to stuff in a polite way um, and just making sure I'm kind of following the trajectory I need to be taking. Um, there's a lot of interesting things that come my way just by putting myself out there. That's a, a reason to do it alone. Um, but saying no to a few here and there has been a really valuable purely because it frees up a lot of time. Um, one thing in particular was a really exciting show uh, I was very kindly invited to be on. Uh, that was going to be on Amazon Prime um, called The Social Movement. Um, and, some, and it's hard emotionally because FOMO was striking me. And, and Chris Lavoie, you should check out. And Molly Hillenbrand, both were in touch about this amazing thing. Um, there's a lot of wonderful people I know. So Michaela Alexis and... Quentin Allens and Mark Mitri and uh, Izzy, who, oh my, so many people who are awesome were, were, are in this thing. And it would have been in Montreal next year, shooting across four days. And the idea is that you have like four days to inverted commas save the world. So in teams, how are you gonna, hand, how are you gonna fix, you know, hurricanes? How are you gonna fix uh, the education system? How are you gonna fix, fix mental health? Immense questions and bringing people from around the world together physically to shoot this. This is gonna be on, I think it's gonna be uh, the first, this would be shooting for the second season, but the first season uh, was gonna be Amazon Prime, I think in the new year. And I was like, oh my God, it's perfect. I really wanna do it. But um, because of Entrepreneur Business Live and some things I wanna do next year, there's a big project I'm working on around a new type of event. Uh, I've declined. They very kindly said you can come back probably the following season, but I was like, that was a that's an example of saying no to something that I really that was a good decision for my business. It hurts. I'm going to be sitting here watching the thing going. I could have been on it, but you know you've got to say no to stuff sometimes. So what was the good what was the good decision you made this year that was based on a no decision? Uh, I'd be interested in reading what you come up with. Uh, one here from Wendy Gilhiller. I said no to people who tried to bully me in my business. 
Laurie Knudsen, anything that didn't align to my goals. Nice, that's nice and focused. The winner, because you had to be in the entrepreneur business group, there's a theme, right, uh, on Facebook in order to uh, win this, is, uh, and I hope I get the name right, Umbai Ladi, U-M-B-A-Y-I, Umbai Ladi. I said no to discounts this year. It's very relevant to the sales AMA. I stood up for my worth, not sure of what would happen next, but I'm certain that the service I give is top notch and worth every penny. Good for you. I b believe in subscribing this unless your model is to go on uh, the kind of the angle of trying to just to get any if, if, if all of your sales out for um, as low an amount of money as possible. Some people have as a model, Walmart for example, where they have almost no margin. And famously Walmart, as, as if you read the book, uh, famously Walmart would sell things at a loss, such as a Thanksgiving turkey. They'd sell it at a loss. Why? To get everyone in the shop because what do you buy when you buy a turkey? Stuffing, onions, potatoes, all that stuff. And that's where they'd make their money back. Plus they've now got the customers, right? And they're killing everyone else who doesn't sell their turkeys. So unless you're doing that, um, it's really important to learn to hold your price. Because again, otherwise you just lose out. They may win, but you, you, know, you make it hard that you have to get more clients to offset the margin you've lost. Um, and I think it's really an important thing. So well done to you and by you're gonna win the book uh, Idea Man by Paul Allen, and I'll get, be in touch very soon. Uh, if you want to join in for these kind of fun giveaways, do join the group on Facebook. Next question, Lee Lam here in the UK, Team UK. <laughs> Give me a comment if you're in the UK. There's a few people, mostly you lot are in the, waking up at the crack of dawn in uh, the US watching this, and there's only a few people in the US, UK. So thanks anyone for uh, coming on uh, if you are here. Uh, my question would be, when you're a services profession, so that's someone who offers a service as opposed to um, making something like shoes, for instance. How can you sh show your skill set and the value you offer without giving away too much? I heard it as giving the sizzle, but not the sausage, which I understand conceptually, but would love some practical advice. No, I disagree. And this is my show, this is my opinion. <laughs> I disagree. You should give it all away. Give away all of your ideas, the very best secrets you've got. This, this show, 175 weeks of it, is not me holding back, right? If I'm going to help give a corporate sales team sales guidance and strategy, it's not like if they watch my sales content on, on this free content, it's not like they get 60% of it and are missing some of the top stuff. No, okay? What they are buying is the convenience of it all packaged in one, in one moment, and the um, the kind of the the efficiency of it being designed around them. So give everything away, because that should be your differentiator, Lee. Give all your best secrets and tips, because people fall in love with that. It makes you different, rather than a little bit of a hint about what you could do. Give the best tips. People will still buy from you because look at the options here. A buyer has one of two options, right? They can consume all your content across time. Someone could totally sit and watch all of these shows, which is getting on for 1,500 questions across, what is it, over a week's worth, because 168 hours in a week is 175 sessions of about an hour each. It's over a week's worth of literally back-to-back -back video 
So if you didn't sleep for a whole week, literally nonstop, that's a lot of Richard, <laughs> then you would, <laughs> then you would, then you would under, then you'd get all of that detail. You'd probably be still, it'd be a bit patchy. But who the hell's going to do that? So that's one option. Or when they buy your services, they get the same stuff, but they get it packaged in efficiency for you. So for instance, you could go through all time and consume all my sales related content. Good luck with all that, sifting your way through it all. Or buy the basics of sale course, which is actually only four hours of, or three hours of, of video, but it distills it all down. They're buying the convenience. They're buying the fact they're saving time. They're also perhaps buying the fact they're saving time because you are going to tailor your service, Lee, to them, right? Whereas the alternative is they pick up little bits here and there through all of your content. Some people might and feel they've got enough from you. Good for them. But the majority won't take all your stuff and not need your service. The majority, in fact, take your stuff, need the service, but don't act. So the key is having sufficiently and compelling content, so your best stuff, to invoke a reaction, ideally, a, hey, can I learn more, please, Lee Lam? And then you sell them your service. So that's what's crucial, okay? A really good question, that's my, my opinion. Sell the convenience of having it all neatly packaged for them or tailored for them, but give away all your good stuff. Absolutely, so people have a sense of how it works, okay? And what it would be like to work with you. Next question, Christina Yeoman, Richard. I've been thinking a lot about selling on LinkedIn. Who, who's been thinking a lot, a lot about selling on LinkedIn? It's something all, on a lot of our minds, you can imagine. Some do it in interesting ways. Um, I know people offer knowledge and tips much like yourself, but that's not my thing. Okay. What are some tips besides showing what you can do or sharing your knowledge, such as a live stream like this, uh, that establishes trust with your people with people you may reach out to for lead generation? I realize this may be a loaded question. <laughs> Look, there are, there are alternatives. You can vlog your climb, or you can blog your climb, or you can just share your kind of your day-to-day. -day. Reduce down to what's required. What is required, Christina, is that, it is, it is actually two really crucial things. Firstly, familiarity with you. The more familiar, and by the way, exposure to you, just enough over time, this is why I do this show every week, enough exposure to you is a really good foundation for getting people to feel familiar with you, therefore comfortable, therefore trust comes through, and the inclination to buy from you, for instance, is increased, okay? So more of you is a good thing, in any form, in fact, notwithstanding negative things about you. So if you are able to deliver stuff or content that allows people to see what you're all about. So here's what I did today in a vlog or sharing all the little details. This is why Instagram stories and Facebook stories, and I'm sure in the future we'll have LinkedIn stories are all valuable. Is because you're giving people a sense of what it's like to work with you. You're giving them a sense of what it would be like to be around you. And that taps into the human need to, to feel like you're, they're familiar with you before and therefore build trust before they actually decide to execute and buy something. That's so essential because what you're doing is you're understanding that there are, uh, there's, there's familiarity 
if you're going to get anywhere. Okay, so looking at this question again, what are some tips besides showing what you can do and, and sharing your knowledge? Uh, oh, sorry, the bit before you said, I know people offer knowledge and tips, much like yourself, but that's not my thing. Here's the second point. Firstly, the familiarity is crucial. Secondly, Christina, your thing is your thing good for you? And some people don't, their thing is not doing video. Some people's thing is doing video, as an example. Some people's thing is writing articles. Some people's thing is images, or whatever the content might be. But the truth is that you will make it more difficult, we talked about friction earlier, for a prospect to engage with you if you always choose your thing. It will help those that love you who are also into your thing. But in reality, if you're gonna serve people and you give a sense of some ideas and value and tips and therefore value to help people, that creates a wonderful dynamic where this, this person is showing up for you and loving the value you're giving them through tips and help and advice, that's a really good exchange in terms of giving them value in terms for, for um, uh, their attention. So where I'm going with this is, to a degree, you don't get to decide what you do if you really wanna go for this. And I'm not saying you can't be successful, okay, if you, if you stick to only the things that you like doing, but you definitely make it harder for yourself. The truth is that when I first did a video story of myself talking at my phone, I, I was like, I feel like such an idiot, right? And given the choice, I'm like, I'd rather not. But I superseded the fact it was not my thing with the fact it was my customer's thing. It's something that my prospects and audience would be keen on. It would help remove friction from a sale. Therefore, it gets done. Simple as that. Okay, so you need to decide where the decision is made. Do you stay in the space of, well, I prefer doing it this way. So just document what you're doing day to day, build familiarity. You do vlogs, I know, uh, um, in your car and things like that. I've seen before, Christina, um, over uh, on LinkedIn, I've seen these. And that will build familiarity and that will get people to love you. And some people might hate it, but some people will love it. And that's fine. And that will be enough for some people to go, do you know what? This is enough. This is the person for me. And they end up buying. But the truth is more people would be served by things that serve more people. So more value based on tips and so on will help. If that's the case, then the question comes, should you suck it up and do it? And that's down to you. You may not want to. And if you don't want to, then fine. You can still win, but it definitely will be harder. So that's my, my treatment of that. Hope that helps. Um, thank you very much. Uh, to everyone who's watching right now. Thanks so much for the guys spamming me right now on <laughs> on LinkedIn, uh, Dilson Moriera. I'm sure we all want to go and watch your YouTube channel right after the show, so thank you. Next question, Kushbu Nangalia, also from Kuala Lumpur. Sales funnel creation, do and don't. There's lots here. Do add plenty of touch points to your sales funnel. A sales funnel, by the way, is the idea of getting lots of people to be aware of you 
And as more of them, as some of them show a bit of interest, you take them to the next step. That might be to your profile or to your website or to another touch point or to uh, a particular part of your autoresponder email uh, work, for instance. So to, do give them lots of touch points. The more, the better. I'm not saying hold off from a deal, but what I'm saying is feed the person with familiarity and with interesting uh, content, okay? Um, think about the UX flow, the user experience flow. If you are giving someone content on something and then moving them to a sale immediately on your website, it can be a little bit clunky and if you think about it, if, you, if you're going from, from content that looks like whatever and moving to a website that looks very different, where you look really different and the, the vibe of it's really different, it doesn't really mesh, mesh together. It should be a nice gentle flow from content through to landing page or website. It should feel like you still, all right? So the way you come across, say, on video should be the way you come across on video in your sales landing page if you were to use that, for instance. So have that user experience flow uh, stay the same. Okay. Second, uh, if you, you've asked for don'ts as well, don't try and do too much per step. If I have an advert, for instance, on Instagram to cold traffic, I don't want to just try and sell off that. I want to try and, you know, impress them a bit and then move them to a next stage. And the next stage would be something like retarget with a bit more value, for instance, rather than going full tilt on trying to get them closed. Don't try to do too much. Do one thing, earn the click to get them to go to the next stage, for example, rather than trying to do too much in each step. Um, what would I also say? Uh, don't undervalue retargeting. I've found retargeting a really great tool. The idea of retargeting is someone who engages in your content with, with money, you can pay to retarget that person with new content. So. For instance, if someone watches a video of mine, I can target those that watched it with another video. And that video might be like a step two of a process. So I maybe wanna give three tips away. The first tip is this video. And if someone watches that video, I'll say, you know, make you know, keep your eyes peeled for the second tip. Then they get targeted with the second tip and so on. Retargeting is also good for, for familiarization. Um, uh, a company I work with, uh, one of the, the companies I'm partnered with, a company called Zubtitle that does captioning, is a great example of this. What they do is they constantly retarget uh, people who follow me with uh, their captioning software adverts because they constantly see me and associate me with that and, and those that care about what I do are, are, are more inclined to buy subtitle as a result. So re retargeting is really valuable. I definitely would suggest you use that. Those watching on LinkedIn, for some reason we're losing a bit of bandwidth, so I hope that's all right for you. The main thing is you can hear still. Um, uh, but great question, Kushbu. Let's do a couple more before you finish. So Bob Lowe, how do you sell to an analytical customer, say engineers or analysts? It's tempting with people who are more of a logical, analytical brain to go heavy on the analytical detail. But the problem here is you make the, the uh, sale a very complex one. You need to indulge them a small amount with a little bit of detail, okay, on 
on the data on the data they need. So if I'm selling a finance, I remember selling a finance director as a CFO once. I'd sold the CEO who's very action based, but I went to a I then had sold his uh, CFO who was very very logical and um, generally a classic case of being sold on the numbers. These guys were based in uh, Zurich, I remember. And I'm, no, it was based in Copenhagen, actually. I remember meeting them, and, and, and the key to that sale was remembering that he needed to hear a few deep, bit more, a bit more depth, rather, in the detail on the finance side and on the data and analytics. But if I'd gone too deep, the magic would have been lost a bit and I would have been going, pouring over details and enumerating data at him, which he wouldn't have been emotionally keen on doing. So you can use the moral frame, the frame being a view of things, a moral frame instead uh, sits above all of this and it gives them a really important moral reason why they should buy something. That can have a really strong impact. What you can't do is try and hard close that person because they will need a little bit more um, uh, touchy-feeliness uh, to a degree to actually get them over the line. Um, if they feel like you're trying to hard close them or move things forward a little faster than they are happy, then they don't tend to not be closed so well. That's what I've experienced. But it, the, temp the, sh the big takeaway here is the temptation is to give them loads of data. You need to be aware they want that. With most, you don't go too deep on it, but with these, you give them a bit, but not too much. A bit, then you move on. Keep it focused on the overall wins for them instead. It's a really good question, Bob. Uh, two more. So, Krista Moulion has said, I want to talk more about social selling and the do's and don'ts. I see many people on social, so Facebook and so on, trying to throw out wild claims like get like, uh, to get leads like make 30K in 90 days or 10K in value giveaway for following me. Those, expert, those experts admit it is clickbait, but it does the trick of getting folks into their net. So is it wrong? Is there a best practice about this? What do you advise business owners? Do you say or do anything for the sale or is it important to follow some moral code? Look, at the moment, social selling is the Wild West, Krista, and people do whatever they want. And some people are kind of unethical and others aren't. What you should ask yourself is, who are you really trying to get as a customer? And yes, it's true there are a lot of people who will make bold, clickbaity claims in order to get the opt-ins and get the sales. And yes, people will fall for it. But they are deliberately trying to target gullible people. They're targeting gullible people with an opt-in to a webinar, to a low-value product, so they can upsell them on something else to test if that person is willing to spend money. There is a set of people, I'm sure all of us know some of them, who buy things because they believe that owning that thing will create success. If I buy this book, I will create success. If I go to this conference where Grant Cardone is speaking and get talked at for an hour, I will have success. If I listen to this motivational podcast, I will have success. And of course, if I opt into this newsletter or buy this course or, you know, buy the upsell at the end of a webinar, that value is $20,000 but being sold to me for nine nine seven. I will have success.
And we all know that typically these are the kind of people who buy things, who but don't follow through with them, which is the problem, it perpetuates the issue. These salespeople, these marketers, are targeting a certain set of people. And that clickbaitiness will, is obviously rubbing you up the wrong way, because in truth, you're not the type to buy it. The question is if you would want those kind of customers anyway. Don't take it all as, as one, one way of selling to the same set of people. You're not losing out by being honorable and noble and selling something legit in more of a legit way because you're not selling to the kind of people who would fall for the gullible, FOMO, heavily emotion-laden rhetoric that the bro marketers are using, right? So instead, you wouldn't want those kind of customers because they want this feeling of, I'm gonna become a millionaire by next week. If you're gonna sell something that you feel is more legit, well, you would need to target a different set of people. I'm not gonna say they're better, I'm saying they're different, read between the lines, they're different. And what I'm saying here, Krista, is you would approach your ideal customer, avatar is the term, in a, a way that suits them best. And the way that suits them best is not the clickbaity way, because if you work with champions, for instance, who are well on the way to running a serious business and maybe they have six million turnover already and they're doing really well, or whatever it might be, those people wouldn't necessarily fall for that clickbaitiness. So each to their own, because you all have your own different types of, uh, of demographic or types of customer and uh, skill sets and things like um, how they view the world and their perspectives are all unique to the, the, the kind of products you're selling. So the, the short version of this is don't worry about what they're doing. You may see that they're tricking other people and you may see that as immoral, but they're tricking and, and you know, they're, they're trying to gain access to set, a set of people who fall for that stuff. It's irritating to you because you can see what they're doing because you're a marketer. But if you, if you are targeting a different type of person, sure, that's not going to work with you. In social selling, you need to think about the right kind of sale for your target audience. The reason why I don't stand next to a Lamborghini I don't own and then uh, talk about how I can make someone 30K in 90 days, for instance, is because I don't, I'm not trying to target the kind of people that buy those kind of things because I'm looking for something different and therefore the, the sales process and the message to them needs to be something different. Do you see what I mean? So that's, that's the way I would look at it instead. Uh, it's a, I'd be very careful here because I don't want to upset anyone, but, but that's a really important consideration. Different people are selling to different sets of people. The bro marketers, as they're known, the ones who have this kind of approach, Krista, they are trying to sell to that set of people and that thing works for that set of people. You're going to miss out unless you buy this thing right now because the offer ends tonight and then the next day they send them a message in, you know, they send them an email. That's You get the classic ones. Oh, I forgot to put the link in. Here's another email. All that kind of stuff. It's all obvious, but it's because it works with the set of type of people they're trying to target. You've got to do the thing that works for your set of people. And it works for everyone because you get the kind of people you need for your kind of product. Great question. Let's finish on Daniel Nunes, who's been here since word go. I think all 175 you've made pretty much, I don't think without any exception. Uh, how, how do you get people to break away from the what's in it for me mentality and see a triple bottom line? 
Uh, triple bottom line is a term for uh, the idea of rather than just looking at profit, which is the bottom line uh, in, in um, business jargon, triple bottom line is, is looking at people, how you impact people and how you impact the planet. So sustainability things as well. So people, planet and profit, uh, it's becoming kind of a trend now. And a good thing, I think, that businesses aren't looking at only a product that can help them with the bottom line of money being made, but also are we going to help the planet? Are we going to help people as well? The truth is humans are built in a way that they always look for what's in it for me. And so it's quite hard to tell people to, to do something different or to break away from it, Daniel, because the truth is they they probably want to, if those that want to just make themselves money selfishly, they're just going to do that. It's still a what's in it for me, actually. Those that want to help the planet and help people are going to want to help the planet and help people as well. One thing, if, you, if you're advising businesses and you're suggesting this is the way they go, ask yourself, are you putting your agenda on them or is this better for the company? But in truth, right now, it's a good idea to be a bit more conscious of the planet and other people and how you impact them. Uh, it's certainly a trending thing to be a bit more sustainable. But also, the long game is crucial here. If you, if you focus on these kind of things, because that's what the generation coming through as as growing into being adults right now who are, are the next generation of buyers are thinking is that they will actually value this kind of stuff. I genuinely believe that more and more people are saying like, do I buy this brand that has the product I want or do I do buy this brand that actually gives money back from the sale of the product I want to whatever charity or, or to help, you know, not just people, but help the environment or something like that. So that longer game is a good idea and maybe invite them to look at it that way. But bottom line, it will always have to be tied to a what's in it for me. People need to see that the long game is that they're leaving a really wonderful legacy and actually it's more effort, but triple bottom line work will actually get people feeling really good about them. And actually, in the main, that will propagate further, give them better distribution and get more people interested in them. But that's a longer play. So it's a very hard question. Uh, I, I encourage anyone to add to it what they, whatever they want. Thank you so much, everyone, for jumping in. We'll have to finish there because we're about, about on the hour. Uh, well done to uh, Umbai Ledi for winning the book. Entrepreneur Business Live Ottawa on Thursday. Tag anyone you know who is in the area who should be going. It's completely free. Money being raised for Safe Pet Ottawa. Uh, it's the last event of the year. Join me in the Entrepreneur Business Group on Facebook. Otherwise, and you can watch the live stream with me from 6 p.m. Uh, Eastern time. Otherwise, have a wonderful day. Thank you, Instagram. Have a wonderful day. Thank you, 